The curse has a wicked stepsister, and her name is Perimenopause. Hello, I'm Chris, and today we'll continue our talk on perimenopause, but more specifically, some of the gynecological issues some of you may have experienced or you're currently experiencing and trying to make a decision about what to do. Some of those decisions can drive you right into menopause. So I want to share my experiences and encourage you to do your own research as well. Now, aside from C-sections, hysterectomy is one of the most common surgical procedures performed on women. There are different types of hysterectomies your doctor will recommend depending on your condition that include removal of all or some of your reproductive parts. Only surgical removal of your ovaries will cause you to go into menopause immediately because, again, it's your ovaries that produce the estrogen. But if your ovaries were not removed during surgery, you could temporarily have some of those menopausal symptoms like the hot flashes I mentioned, and they can be more severe. I was already having hot flashes before the surgery, but right after, it was a whole new level of power surges. I mentioned my issues with uterine fibroids. I've had several procedures over the last two decades to deal with the fibroids, which were causing excessive bleeding and large clots during my cycle. If I sat a certain way and got up too quickly, it was over for that pad. The heavy bleeding eventually caused me to become anemic and lethargic. Make sure you inquire about all of your options, though, if you're OBGYN mentions hysterectomy as your first and only option. Go ahead and get a second opinion. Remember, a lot of seasoned doctors are trained in the old school methods. I even had one OBGYN jokingly mention that they used to schedule hysterectomies like a conveyor belt. And I'm thinking, are you proud of that? (laughs) Because that's nothing to be proud of. Before I decided to have the hysterectomy, my cycle was out of control. I thought I was going into menopause at the end of 2019 because my cycle was slowing down. Like it was, it was coming on like clockwork still, but it would stay on for maybe four or five days instead of the usual seven, eight, nine days. And by the beginning of the following year, I skipped a whole month. I'm like, okay, well, take care now. Bye-bye then. See you later. Don't come back. Don't write. (laughs) We had a good run. So you know, I wasn't expecting to see it anymore. And then lo and behold, it comes on, it stays for two weeks. Next month it comes on, it stays for two weeks. And then, and this just, it happened to be when I got my second COVID shot, it just decided to do a long extended stay. It stayed on for three whole months and I could not take it anymore. Like just take my uterus. I'm 49 or I was about to turn 49 then. And I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Um, So I went ahead and decided to have the partial hysterectomy. I just didn't want to have everything else taken out. And even the nurse practitioner came up to me and said she had it done a year before. And, you know, she's she's felt great. And she asked me why I didn't want to have everything removed, like my cervix and uh, my ovaries. And I said, well, my mind wasn't really ready for that. Um, And so I just wanted to get rid of the problem area, which was my uterus. So that means I could still develop cervical cancer because my cervix is still intact. So I still need to keep up with my annual appointments. And so I encourage you to really look into this if you're considering having 
any type of surgery like this, especially if you're not already in your menopausal years. Once you turn 50 or 51 is when natural menopause usually starts. Whatever kind of procedure you have in that area is going to be invasive and it's going to be trauma in that area. And so your hormones are reacting to that trauma and you'll have, you know, increased hot flashes or mood swings and what have you. So again, make sure that you are reading up on all the side effects and asking your doctor questions, write those questions down. I suggest using a journal, electronic or a physical journal to write down your questions that you have for your doctor before you go. Because a lot of times we go to our doctor and they're talking so fast through, you know, whatever procedures they are recommending and why you need it. And you don't really have time to get in all your questions. So it's a good idea to write your questions down before you go so that you're prepared, you're ready. Just make sure you get all the information you need before you agree to having these procedures. Um, So let's talk about some of the reasons why women choose a hysterectomy. Besides fibroids, it could be cancer of the cervix or cancer of the ovaries or uterus. It might be endometriosis, abnormal bleeding that doesn't respond to any other treatments, even uterine prolapse, which is when your uterus kind of falls out of place because the muscles holding it up have weakened due to multiple births or just having weak pelvic muscles. And guess what keeps your pelvic muscles strong? Estrogen, estrogen, estrogen. (laughs) So in uterine prolapse, your uterus may fall through the birth canal. And for some people, they can actually feel the bulge outside of the vaginal canal. So it's basically hanging out of your body. That would freak me out. So estrogen is this super hormone that controls all of these things going on in our bodies during this time. As I mentioned, I had several procedures during my 30s and 40s to help curtail issues with my uterine fibroids. The doctor discovered 23 fibroids, some large, some small, and I was given the option of a myomectomy, which is done by a horizontal incision across your abdomen, just like a C-section, and the doctor massages the fibroids out. That's a more invasive surgery as the healing time is longer, like six weeks. And the first two weeks were very painful, especially trying to sit down to use the bathroom and then trying to get back up. Walking around was painful. The gas pains from all your insides being exposed to all that air. Um, But I chose this procedure because I wanted to have kids, but I was told those fibroids will grow back. So I had a small window of time, like three to four years, to find someone of substance, which I didn't have at the time, but I was still hopeful. Needless to say, they did grow back, and I ended up seeking a less invasive surgery. So I had the laparoscopic and DNC, where they went in vaginally to scrape the lining of my uterus. But that didn't help me at all because my fibroids were inside, outside, and in the lining of my uterus. So a few years later, I had a fibroid embolization. This is where they make a small incision on both sides of your groin, and they inject these beads that help block the blood supply to your uterus, hence blocking the blood supply to your fibroids because your fibroids need a blood supply to grow. Now, this procedure killed them all like in one fell swoop. The before and after images blew my mind away. 
Two key things here, though. One, this surgery does not completely cut off the blood supply, but it makes carrying a child to full term more difficult since, again, you're cutting off that blood supply to the uterus. But some women have been successful carrying full term after having this procedure. Number two, I was I was aware that there was the possibility they could still grow back. However, no one mentioned if they do grow back, they are going to look for other organs in your body that do have a blood supply to attach themselves to. I didn't know until I had my partial hysterectomy some 10 years later that scar tissue had developed from all of the procedures I've had. And because the fibroids were starting to grow again, they, they were attaching to other organs like my bowels and my bladder. So I didn't have just a partial hysterectomy with removal of my uterus, sew me up and I'm done. He also had to repair my bowels where some of the fibroids had attached themselves. It was supposed to be a small incision where I had the myomectomy and one small incision on the left side of my abdomen and through my belly button for the instruments, one with a light and camera and, and one to remove the uterus. That's the lap- laparoscopic part of it. But my uterus was too big, so he had to make another full incision, horizontal incision, below my myomectomy scar and had to slice and dice my uterus to get it out. <laughs> Well, I didn't know about that part either until after the surgical tape was removed a week later because I had a reaction to the tape, which caused my skin to turn like 10 shades darker in that area. Now everyone walks away free of scars and emotional trauma, but I'm just sharing my experience. I had just about every single post-surgery complication that was listed, even pain in my shoulder of all places. Some of the complications that can occur after surgery include urinary incontinence, which I still have now, but not severe. I had pain when trying to urinate for a few months after the surgery, but now whenever I do go to the bathroom, I get a bonus trickle after I've walked a few steps. I'm working to strengthen my pelvic floor muscles. It's keggle time. Start doing those exercises now, ladies. Also, post-surgery, you may have shortness of breath, chills, and fever bruising. Uh, My bruising was that was yellow, black, and blue, and purple. That got worse as the days went on, but it started fading after a few weeks. Constipation for me was severe. I went nine whole days without having a movement. So start drinking tons of water after you get home and try walking as much as you can, but don't overdo it. There's pelvic pains because your nerve endings are still healing. Um, But make sure you do your follow-up appointments and let them know of any side effects that you're having. The one thing you should ask if you're planning to have surgery, ask how you should sleep at night. The first few nights, I couldn't lay down, so I sat up in my bed and slept. But then when I did attempt to lay down on my side, my stomach was just hanging on the side, which can impact how your wound heals. So try to prop a long pillow in front of you to support your stomach and behind you to support your back. Avoid lifting heavy things, talking to my independent folks who don't ask for help. (laughs) I didn't want to bother anyone with coming to stay with me, but I realized I didn't need help. Uh, I mean, they were coming anyway, family and friends, and I really appreciated it. Uh, So make sure you have some kind of support system as well. I was having hot flashes already before the surgery. 
But after the surgery, because my body was reacting to the changes in my hormone levels by having this type of surgery, they were extreme. Some people began hormone replacement therapy, HRT, before they leave the hospital because bodily changes can be so drastic. But the facility I went to didn't tell me that. I had to make an appointment to let them know that, hey, I'm drowning in a pool of sweat nightly, so so help me. So they started me on the estrogen. You may also feel a sense of loss because you no longer have all the equipment you need to bake that pie. Or you may feel depressed. But all in all, I don't miss my period. I think I went through that feeling of loss before I had the surgery. So I I got all my emotions in check over the last couple of years. But it impacts women in different ways. Just make sure you don't ignore what you're feeling. Let's talk about nutrition and how we still have to be super cognitive of what's in the food we're ingesting and the, the products we allow to absorb in our skin. I was eating reasonably well, but I was still eating fried and processed foods. Plus, healthy options are few and far between in a lot of areas. And even when you think you're eating healthy, there are all these chemicals the government allows, the U.S. government allows in food and food containers. And I'll bring those up in just a bit. Now, we'll never, ever be 100% clear of toxins and harmful chemicals. But information is key, right, in this journey. And we want to make sure we are physically and mentally able in our golden years to take care of ourselves. It's just when you think you're eating healthy, you get smacked in the face with chemicals you may not have known were allowed to be put in your food or even the container or wrapper it comes in. For example, I call myself eating healthy when I go to my favorite spot to get a burrito bowl with all the good healthy fixings and a few dabs of sour cream. (laughs) But wait, those so-called environmentally friendly bowls have those forever chemicals. Some of you have heard of those, the PFAS those forever chemicals that allow the bowls to hold wet and greasy foods without falling apart, but also contaminates water and soil. And the kicker leads to reproductive issues, thyroid issues, and cancer. Even though many industries are now working on getting rid of these chemicals since it's been put in the the spotlight a lot lately, But in the U.S., there is a bipartisan bill that has been introduced to Congress to ban this substance in food containers and wrappings by 2024. So I'll just order my burrito bowl with the tortilla in the bowl so that my food is not touching the bowl in the meantime. (laughs) That's just a little workaround. A lot of the stuff we consume have chemicals that have been banned in other countries that I'm sure contribute to a lot of our reproductive issues as well. So just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe. The best thing to do is avoid uh, packaged fast foods and frozen foods, nonstick cookware items, and microwave popcorn. I do know IKEA is one company who has removed their forever chemicals. There's this interactive map um, from the Environmental Working Group website that shows you locations where PFAS chemicals are found in in your water, just putting in your zip code. So the website is ewgewg.org. And you can look for that interactive map, put in your zip code, and it will show you if there's any PFAS found and other chemicals that are found in your drinking water. 
So if you have family members, I know I have older family members who still like to drink tap water. Um, So I I looked in their areas just to make sure um, that those contaminants weren't found. But even if the PFAS, that forever chemical is not found in your water, there are other contaminants too. So you want to make sure you have a good water filtration system in your home. That's it for today. But just remember, the curse has a wicked stepsister and her name is Perry Menopause. <laughs>